Welcome to Stop, Pack, and Roll, a podcast about the corruption inherent in letting players choose what's in the finale. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. And today we're going to be talking about player-driven experience tracks and how they can signal to the GM what kind of stories people are interested in. Uh, we got to keep it under 193 hours. Oof. Okay. So hopefully we can. This is episode 53 of Stop, Hack, and Roll. I'm Brandon. I'm sitting here with James. <laughs> I'm James. I'm sitting here with Brandon. Oh, hey, you played a game. You played. Uh, <laughs> the one that's right here on the, the table. right there on the table. Yeah, we played uh, Dialect. Dialect, yeah. Uh, it was pretty interesting. We Cool. Um, it was the first time we played Dialect. Okay. Uh, we played the Thieves Cant. Um is it a playbook? I believe is it a, a, I forget what they're called. Playset, maybe? Playset. This, I know Pasión de las Pasiones uses playsets. There's a different word for it. Um, but it went well. It, uh, we played it with like, we played it with eight people. Woof. Which is way too many people. Okay. Um, and it went really well, actually. Um, we, in order to make it work within the time frame, we had yeah. to like, each of the scenes we had ended up being very short. Okay. To the extent that a couple of them were only like a couple lines of dialogue back and forth, oh, just to okay. like catch the use of the word in in context. Yeah, but it was well. It went well. It was a. Uh, it's a good game. I want to do some stuff for Protean City uh, with mm-hmm. it. Jess has actually already written a play, like a playbook for it. Okay, cool. Um, set around the uh, pointed. Yeah, and so we may do like a flashback episode featuring that. Sounds uh, great. It's definitely a game that I want to mess around with more because it falls into that category of like microscope type games that I think are yeah. like really cool world building games that like slot into before your game or partway through your yeah. game or something like that. Yeah. But uh, when I when I knew we were gonna be running for eight people, yeah, I did actually like uh, hit up. Akan I saw and that on Catherine Twitter. on Twitter yeah. and was like, how do I do this? And they were like, don't. <laughs> and I was like, uh, too, uh, too bad. Too late. Uh, but one of the things that we we sort of talked about a little bit was the idea of running it on multiple tables. Yeah. And I liked the idea because I like that idea specifically for like the Thieves Can't session um, or playbook or whatever that uh, we ran. You explicitly have another gang in the area. Yeah. And so if you played two tables that had that were like members of the two gangs. Um, And then my thought was because you have these nice down points between the different ages, there's three ages. Yeah. um, It would be cool to have people trade between tables. Yeah. That would be very cool. And then maybe even come up with something that like combines like the slang that is shared by the gangs. Yeah. That like occasionally you look at a card and go, all right, we're all doing this one and see how that moves. Yeah, or the the person, um, the person, people who would move would obviously bring with them their slang, mm-hmm. and then and then it would have the benefit of they had because a lot of the gameplay is to like get you familiarized and internalize the those words. Yeah, and so the person who is bringing over the words with them would be would Confident be expected to try and but also would be expected to try to start using words from the session from the other one. or from the age that they uh, from the other table from the age they weren't there for. Yeah, and they would be clumsy with them. Yeah. That's really slick. I, th- I think that'd be really fun to see. I have been pl- I've been running this uh, Urban Shadows game. Yeah, I just had a long conversation today with Jess, talking through the the end of where that's going to go nice. because I now know that, that I have an ending, and so okay. I've kind of like uh, been doing the 
so I've had like a thousand different possible strains of story going right. on and how can I like collect them all into point them at an ending now? Yeah. How do you tie, tie up your loose ends into a front that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's good. And I think I have a good ending. So that'll be hopefully be another week or two. I think probably yeah. two weeks. That That is something that I think a lot of games don't have a lot of mechanical backup and help for. Mm-hmm. And is actually something I'm, I'm trying to kind of angle towards in Pasión de las Pasiones. So... Yeah, like, Ur- that's something that that I need to look at. Because Urban Shadows just has like you, you are like the problem that I had was that we because when we have played Urban Shadows, yeah, we've only ever played a couple. Yeah, sessions. we've only done like one or two and, shots, and I've now done. We've done. Th- we've gone through the. Um, we do short sessions, like two hour sessions, and so we've been counting every two every two events as a new session. As a new session uh, for the purposes of doing the end session moves and, yeah. and the beginning session moves. But even still, we've done the rumors thing like four, like four times. To- yeah, and I've tried to do a good job of like pulling things together and incorporating those rumors into. Yeah. To the story immediately, but even still, we have a huge number of storylines going on, um, which is fine if you're just planning to go forever. Yeah, but um, trying to now bring it all together into a into a, a coherent story ending that will feel good um, is actually something that I have had more practice doing because of uh, GMing Pretty and City. Yeah. Where we are trying to hit those endings, but yeah, endings are a weird thing that games like don't talk about. Yeah, they really don't. And like, I think PBTA games simultaneously give more support than most other games do while also leaving these like enormous question marks that there's not a lot of solution to like for D and D you can level to level 20 and then take your epic destiny, whatever, blah, 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 go for another 100 levels if you want to. And there's not really any support for this is how you end it. Whereas in PBTA, you've got the, you retire your character. And yeah. eventually you're going to have to retire your character. But what happens when you've got a group of five people and one person retires their character? Yeah. And it's like, that's really not addressed. Um, it's monster- also really not uncommon. Like, no. when we, looking at the uh, the longest masks campaign we've ever played is Protean City, and looking yeah. at where we are in terms of how many upgrades, and we're wildly all over the place. We're all, yeah, we're all over I, the like, place. Because my characters had like three or four. Yeah. And, um, and I think that a couple of people are only, only have like one or two. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I mean, frankly, it, it all game to game will make huge differences. Uh, there's, there are a couple that have kind of like season setups. Yeah. I know monster hearts has like, when you hit this advance, then the next, when you get, I think the first time you get an adult move, the next session is the finale, hmm. which I, I kind of dig. I, I feel like there's still, isn't really tying a, the full finale into it. Um, which it's something I'm trying to do with passion yeah. because it's an episodic, yeah, structure you, about a thing that should have an ending but that's a great that's a good example of that like that or like something like um uh worldwide wrestling are mm, st- yeah. are like stories or games about um things that are told stories that are told episodically yeah and and you are really like leaning into the television show aspect of your game and so television shows have season endings yeah exactly and so it's harder for something like urban shadows, which is just about people living in an urban city with yeah. monsters. Where does that end? Even something yeah. like monster hearts has like a school year. Yeah. And I, I think that's maybe, I think maybe one of the big secrets to having campaigns that end in really satisfying ways is planning for it from the game design. 
perspective. Yeah. Like knowing as you are writing down the game, this is a game that is designed to do six to eight sessions. This is a game that's designed to do four sessions. This game is designed to do 10 sessions, whatever it is. Yeah. Because really, really like when I was, as I was sitting down to sort of like angle this Urban Shadows campaign towards an ending, yeah. that what I'm doing is really functionally no different than if I were GMing a D&D campaign. Yeah. Like it's not like Urban Shadows is helping me lift that. Like Urban Shadows helps yeah. me do the lift of storytelling really well mm-hmm. uh, because that's what PBTA does, but it's not helping me end. <laughs> and I mean, like that's part of what makes some of the kind of tighter, smaller games, some of the most satisfying games. Like yeah. Lady Blackbird, everyone like lady no one goes like man that lady blackbird game got real long in the tooth towards the end of that (laughs) no one is playing reflections and going like "Eh, we didn't really get an ending but you know uh and i think that having that that isn't just because they're shorter games i think it's because they're games that plan for the game to end yeah one thing that we need to look at and discuss and start figuring out is if you are doing a masks game that has a open table, continuously moving, continuously spinning group of players, do you run it as seasons with reboots? Mm -hmm. Do you run it as seasons without reboots? Do you run it as just a constant rollout? If you look at the British TV show Misfits, which is about teenage superheroes, Mm -hmm. um, very very good, very graphic. I haven't seen it for a couple years. It might be grossly, grossly problematic. So (laughs) let me know. So I don't keep recommending it if it is. Um, but it has, like, by the I think, second or third season, the entire cast is different. That's cool. Uh, and it's just, like, it's a slow rollout in the same way that it would theoretically be for Masks mm-hmm. if just each character, just yeah. each player just picked yeah, a new yeah, character. Yeah. I do need to watch Misfits. It's been on my list forever. So in Masks, a, even, s- like, so there's a lot of the story of, like, what's happening is still provided by the the GM, the players are are um, oh this may be a good um, this might be a good uh, segue actually into okay. our main topic but um, so it, in, it does help if we say that it might be a good segue first yeah, yeah. Um, in masks you, the the GM is still doing a lot of the heavy lifting about what the story is the yeah. players yeah. are making decisions for their characters and the way masks is set up those decisions are signaling things to the gm mm-hmm. to say these are the stories that i'm interested in yeah beyond just that the, the different playbooks signal specific types of stories yeah um but something like urban shadows you do those rumors and those rumors are the way the players signal um the the things they're interested in and literally like content that they're interested in. And so like the group I've been playing with for the most part has been introducing rumors about the ongoing events, right? But there's nothing that says you have to do that. No. And so for an ongoing campaign, you could just easily end up with widely disparate rumors and, yeah. and you could abandon those rumors. Right. Um, but it doesn't necessarily say, this character's storyline is the main storyline or this character's yeah. story. Cause you could easily have, because again, urban shadows is, is designed to have the characters be a little bit separate or group up yeah. in twos and threes. And you're supposed to be pushing them together, but the story and then story, ripping them apart, but yeah. those storylines could be completely separate yeah. as they're addressing them separately. And I have found ways to, to weave them together, but it would make it impossible to sort of do that. Yeah. Like in, in urban shadows, you could very realistically run four completely solo games with four players without like the players attempting to do that. Yeah. Just not turning yeah. to each other. And cause for a lot of the times 
like the way the rules are set up with the debt mechanics and with the the faction mechanics, it can be better to not go <laughs> to someone that you already know. Just try to get like a fresh start. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. maybe mark that experience. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, so talking about the ways that games uh, signal endings and signal story advancement and stuff like that. Yeah. Ah, nicely done. <laughs> well played. Us. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to talk about how... Th- this is something we've touched on a little bit, but I kind of want to get into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty and talk about a couple of new ideas, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of how advancement and how character change is mechanized and how that affects the stories you tell. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and be completely frank right from the beginning. The reason I'm doing this is because Pasión de las Pasiones, uh, the Ashcan has been out for a little while. Lots of people have got a chance to see it. Uh, When this drops, I think there's like three days left of the bundle of holding that still is available. And that's sold like 600 copies. So I'm getting like yeah i'm so excited to like get all this feedback i'm seeing some people that are going like pasión de las pasiones this is a thing i've never seen of before (laughs) and i'm like yeah because i'm anywhere that pasión is mentioned i am there um but uh with the kind of this new ashcan information coming in and with all the work i've been doing trying to move towards the final product there's been a lot of times where we've been going hey let's rip out this mechanic because it isn't doing what we want it to be doing and put in something new And one of the big kind of floating question marks, floating upside down question marks that has been in this is how does advancement work? How does campaign play work? And things like that. Yeah, because every time we've played tested it, it's only ever been a solo. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've, I've actually only play tested it as a solo game. And part of the reason for that is that there isn't there's an advance, quote unquote, there's an advancement system yeah. in that I came up with the audience reactions and I put, choose a new move, choose a different move. And that was the entire thing. And it but, was always a system, if I can be honest, yeah. that felt the least polished oh, and yeah. the most disconnected from, because inherently it's a system where now all of a sudden you're putting yourself in the mind of a different character. Right. So it always felt a little bit hard for me. Yeah, and so look, so what works about it, what's very cool about it, is it has, it gives players an excuse to portray these big emotions that are the experience of sitting down with your family and watching one of these shows. Yeah. Um, like, I sit there, I, I sit watching these shows with my wife, and we have some of these reactions. <laughs> it also mechanizes table, like table talk a yeah. little bit, which is good, because it yeah. allows that. Yeah, that's which is something I've really wanted to push for. Um, it also makes your game a little bit louder, which I like. <laughs> um, but what it wasn't doing is giving advancements. Yeah. Because it really ended up being a thing that instead of the players knowing exactly what they had to do all the time, being able to keep track of it and everything and like pushing it, uh, instead you would get like the one or two things that are easy to remember and then a player would have one that's a little harder to remember and then no one would hit it. And so it, it just it is it wasn't working in that current form. Yeah. Additionally, uh, telenovela characters don't like start episode one and get stronger <laughs> and like get a magical axe. Yeah. And uh, prestige class, like you know, like it's but but what they? if? Yeah. I was actually just looking at a post on Google Plus a little earlier today about someone who wanted to do a dungeon delve using Pasión de las Pasiones. <laughs> And I'm so into that. That uh, is good. Yeah. 
I, I think they need a move for like when you face a dungeon danger that like you know uh, yeah that's let's not get into that yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a whole different thing <laughs> yeah um but those characters do have story plot lines that they yeah, move through exactly and so characters change they just don't get consistently better okay so let's just talk about this topic for a second to make sure yeah. i'm totally we're, that everyone because i don't know if we have been super clear about we what we're talking even said what it is <laughs> um so we're, we wanted to talk about you have um the concept of experience which we've yeah. talked about in an episode we called incentivizing incentivization yes i think <laughs> i think so um and that that the, the thought process there was that sort of basic pbta style game uh experience structure where you're giving people experience for doing the things that you want their character to do. Yes. Um, and, and that you can use in the way that you have, um, tools in the, in the, in the moves and tools and other things you give characters to do. You tell the characters, what are the players, what to do. You also yeah. tell the players what you are interested in and in having them do via the experience system. Yes. But I think that what we want to talk a little bit about today is that that can kind of be a two-way street. Like there Definitely. are many, like like I've been playing again, a lot of Urban Shadows. And yeah. so Urban Shadows has like two, two at least two experience systems. Yeah. Um, They feel a little different. It feels a little bit like three. The factions thing feels like three, but it's, it's not. It's I, really, I it's two. See, yeah, I feel like it's two. But um, like I see what you're saying with that. And, but... The way that, and so I think we wanted to talk about sort of systems, games that have multiple experience systems. Yeah. And how you can use, like, if the primary experience system, and I think this is what you're getting at a little bit with, yeah. um, with Passion, is that, that you can have like a primary experience system that is you telling, you as the game designer, telling the players how you want them to play their character. Yeah. And then a secondary system which is a more choice-based system mm -hmm. that where, that lets the players tell the GM the kinds of stories they're interested in. Yes, definitely. Ah, well done. You <laughs> kind of got to the idea of what I was saying. Yeah, because you have like, uh, just running through Urban Shadows before yeah. we dive fully into Passion. Ur Urban Shadows actually is like a really good analog for Passion in some ways. You've got the primary experience mechanic in the in the faction system. Yeah. Which is that you get experience when you do things that relate to other factions. Yes. Because the game is saying the most important thing for these characters is their faction and yeah. how they react to the other factions and how they relate to them and when do they go for them for help and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And that when you and it forces you to interact with every faction before yes. you advance, and then once you advance, you would you get like the typical like level up, get better at things, yeah. take a new moves or whatever. And then you also have a secondary track of experience uh, in the corruption system, yeah, where you choose like it's 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 really this is interesting, um, and we can probably yeah, this decompress is a cool about thing, this. I, I know um, what you're gonna say is that almost so we've played now in this game that I'm running five or six sessions. Nice. Nobody has any corruption moves. What? Nobody has what? any Ow. corruption moves. Because, what has happened? Because we chose not to start with them because that's, okay. because you always start, you always, always had start to with start one. with them. Yeah. But the game does not say to it do doesn't. that. No, yeah. Um, and in every case where you have to choose or to take uh, corruption, corruption as as a result, all of my characters or all my players have either chosen other options Ugh. or they've avoided it in some way. Yeah, because they're, I, I think even the corruption move for a lot of them says your choice. 
for most of the corruption moves, I think it costs you marking corruption, I thought. Oh, no, I mean for the for the drama move. Like, I think the wolf, it's when you declare a hunt, your choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a couple moves for every playbook. Yeah. That, and it's usually the drama move, and there's, I think, a couple combat moves that, yeah. uh, that have... T- corruption you, mark a- corruption as an option or as a yeah. as a consequence and all of my players have just universally avoided it which is interesting because it tells me that the characters are not interested in in exploring the corruption of their characters that's very true whereas like if you had me sitting down at a game and i was playing the wolf it would be like oh we're we're going to try to find that guy a hunt is on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and so once, but, but, but assuming that you're not playing that kind of a game and your players right. have done that, well, now the choices I make about it's, 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 it's weird because corruption is an experience system that the player controls. Yeah. Almost it's exclusively. Almost exclusively because they are choosing to do a move. And so those things can signal to the, the GM yeah. the, the direction that they are interested in playing. And, yeah. I, and I did have a really great conversation with the, with one of my players when they did finally roll poorly and had to choose about taking corruption as an, as a consequence. Yeah. Um, and they basically said like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't understand. Like I'm not, yeah. that's not a part of what my character is. Yeah. Like we haven't explored that. Like it's not something that I, it's not a part, like I, we haven't built that into our world. Yeah. And because we just hadn't run into it yet. Yeah. And I was like, well, here's what I am imagining uh, like a wizard giving into their corruption mm, looks like. Yeah. And, and we kind of talked it through and then they finally were like, okay, I see that. That's just still not a part of this character that I'm interested in exploring and yeah. in a different way. And it was an interesting exchange. Oh, that's a great table thing. But it was just a weird, a weird ca- case of like, I, yeah. I, I, I was talking about how we haven't, uh, well, I was thinking about ending this campaign and it'll be super weird that I've run like a five or six session uh, Urban Shadows game in which nobody has any corruption. I'll be honest, probably six sessions in, I don't think I'd have a character anymore because of corruption. There's like a real good chance. Oh yeah, yeah that yeah. my that my happy little puppy starting wolf would have ended up bitter, especially and jaded in and scary. this game, which has gotten really like one of. Uh, and I know that Ryan will be listening to this episode yeah. at some point, but like his character has been hogtied in in a um or tied to a chair for a couple sessions because he is just, because he is just negotiating over and over with the with this demon who has pushed him into yeah. like giving up different things yeah but he has refused to take actions that would re- result in him oh gaining gosh. corruption because he's just like again like that's not, he Ryan, doesn't want to do that i believe in you give in to your darkest self <laughs> um i think he has actually started doing like leaning into the corruption trying to get yeah. a corruption move nice but um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's it's interesting, um, and and I I probably could have pushed harder earlier yeah. on to get people to do that. Yeah, uh, well, and, but that's not necessarily something you need to do. And also, a lot of our game has not been combat heavy, and a lot yeah. of the moves that require you to take corruption are combat moves. Yeah, that is true. As a result of like, because it's basically like when you get beaten down, you and, t- turn to your darkest self. Yeah, which. Is something I've seen. I've I've had a couple of actually really interesting conversations with people looking at like the the metaphorical underpinnings of urban shadows and of urban fantasy in general, and like looking at uh at looking at otherness as being you know real world otherness, whether that is uh, people of color, whether that is queerness, and how those metaphors like say things. <laughs> When mm-hmm. they are put into place, I don't remember who I was talking to, and I, I feel terrible that I don't. If I'm able to remember, we'll definitely link them. 
Uh, and if not, then they'll let me know and I'll t- <laughs> tweet it out and everything. But they are looking at Urban Shadows with the supernatural as a as a big metaphor for queerness, as opposed to mm. Urban Shadows as with supernatural elements being being like immigrant status or being uh, smaller communities that are being gentrified against their will. Mm-hmm. Cause like a big part in my mind, when I, when I read urban shadows, all I see is gentrification. Like that to me is, is exactly where that game is headed. And so mm-hmm. for me, I'm seeing corruption and I go like, Oh, that's so interesting to people pushed to do, pushed to do things that they have to do in order to survive. And corruption does that make like, having a system that is corruption is saying like, hey, does that maybe make them worse? So if someone is pushed into a position that they have to do something that necessarily makes them like evil, quote unquote, then like how, what does that say about your game world, right? And what does that say about the world that you're in that there's, that people that are just doing what they need to do to survive now become like a dark supernatural threat, yeah. Well, that was like that is that's kind of so what we were talking about with the with the wizard was like what does corruption mean for a wizard? Yeah. And we kind of settled on ultimately it means diving into the magic part of it mm-hmm. and like losing your your humanity because we right. the the two sort of things we have focused on mostly in our urban shadows campaign is uh how connected you are with like your humanity like yeah. because we have a couple characters who are very inhuman. Yeah. Um and and struggle sometimes to connect to people on a personal level. Yeah. And, and then we have a lot of like, there's a lot of class struggle. Yeah. The primary flick plot line is a group of basically proletariat, uh, vampires trying to overthrow the caste system and the, they're the class system nice, and the upper class vampires. And like, and that, that is where I think a lot of urban fantasy lives, right? Yeah. In those spaces where you're exploring through metaphor. Um, but it's very important then to say like, Hey, if, if the wolf has the wolf is just the playbook I'm most familiar with because yeah. it's the one I most want to play. Um, if the wolf has been fighting tooth and claw to maintain their territory so that someone isn't coming in and taking their home, if they become a threat, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, they're a bad, scary, evil thing, or does that mean that they are willing to do whatever it takes? Does that mean they're willing to go too far? Does that mean a disconnect from humanity? And all of those different choices that you make have huge implications about like what you're saying in the real world metaphor. Yeah. About the about like the community that's on the edge of gentrification, that's having people come in, that you've got people saying, Hey, no, this is our home, this is where we live. You cannot kick us out, and I'm going to do things that are scary for the people that want to move in. Yeah. Because these are people encroaching. These are people trying to conquer. And like, that doesn't fly. And insert a big old discussion about uh, Black Panther right here, where we discuss <laughs> whether Killmonger is a villain or not. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the plot lines <laughs> in my story is a wizard who has moved in, or who, I, I don't know if it's been established if he's if he lived in the community, but he's literally using uh, rock golems to defend yeah. his neighborhood, to keep other factions from moving into it. Yeah. And um, is willing to let the mortals continue living there and mm-hmm. is there to, is doing this to protect them. Yeah. But if you are a supernatural type person, he's kicking you out, yeah. regardless and, of who you are. And like, 
looking at a story like that, you could look at that and go like, hey, is that the same story as Luke Cage? Yeah. And in some ways it is. It's its own going, I'm going to protect the people that are here, that are that live here, that this is our home. And so having situations where, we're so far afield. I know, yeah. But, but having situations where like, doing that is corruption makes for a kind of a weird back and forth. Okay, but so all of that is like a conversation oh God, yeah. basically <laughs> about the corruption system as a way of signifying the kinds of the kinds of choices yeah. and stories you're interested in and just this weird like kind of not weird edge case, but the thing that people are yeah. talking about recently where the corruption system might not jive with them as a way or they're not interested well, in the types of stories that tell yeah. because they're interested in a different story. And at the same time there's actually a huge conversation going on right now about um cyberpunk and transness mm-hmm. of uh changing your like changing your physical body through surgery or cybernetics or yeah. whatever that happens to be in your game uh lowering your like humanity or essence score mm. and how that is kind of that's that's crappy that's so bad because yeah. like that that says if you that that's that just completely invalidates anyone who is trans that completely invalidates yeah. anyone, who wants, anyone to change. who wants to change anything about themselves who wants to change like or someone who doesn't have a choice like that yeah like that i mean i wear glasses does that lower my humanity score yeah my friend's mother has a, a cochlear implant yeah does that mean that because she wants to hear people she's less of a human if, if someone has like has a, a replacement leg or replacement arm like like this just that's horrible (laughs) and a lot of that is looking at these really old publications from you know yeah that's uh, super weird because old cis white dudes that that weren't considering anything like that it also just doesn't jive well with the actual like cyberpunk literature that i've read yeah where most of the characters who are like the teched out people are the main characters or like the people that you have the most humanity that you care about yeah it's so whatever it's a very weird thing but so let's get back to talking about experience (laughs) systems and stuff Um, okay so i can tie us back in okay so things like uh when you roll a six minus or when you kill a monster or something like that are things where the gm is deciding when the experience is awarded and actually for that matter the audience reaction mm-hmm. from pasión de pasiones is the same thing it's the gm deciding when experience is uh is set up uh m- choosing to go actually the factions to a lesser extent also because it's kind of guided the gm is essentially yeah. guiding you towards those um whereas corruption mechanic just do the action to get the experience or the doom, uh, the doomed uh, doom track, the doom track, making the decision to roll that or, um, uh, monster hearts one and apocalypse world style that you're using the highlighted stat. That's you deciding to just do that. You can do that at literally any point. And so that is kind of like the GM versus the player guiding where your experience track Mm -hmm. is going. Yeah, it's crazy to phrase corruption as an experience system in which the player just chooses to give themselves more experience. Yeah, it, it essentially <laughs> is, right? So, like, here's uh, here's the corruption move from the Fae. When you break a promise or tell an outright, outright lie, mark corruption. Yeah. So, like, 
I mean, I know that in D&D, there's all of those crazy builds you can make that give you an experience treadmill that you just hit the button yeah. and get experience. Yeah, yeah. This is literally... I think, isn't it, um, the Tainted has a move? Uh, one of the Tainted Corruption moves that I had was just like, you transform into your demon form, and instead of taking one or a couple of the advancement, or the like the, the bonuses, just take them all. Yeah. Just be more... It, that That is the craziest one, because that is just literally like, choose to be more powerful. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. The, the wolf also, and like that admittedly you have to unlock that move. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that's a corruption move. So once you've got a, that. Oh yeah, the, the one for the fey, that is straight up its starting drama move. Oh you, your yeah, Your yeah, very yeah. first action of the game. Could be tell lies. Could be to tell a lie. Tell six lies and boom, you've got a corruption move. Yeah. You could in a single session as the fey just and your character. Uh, we briefly, so <laughs> this is actually a, another fun tangent oh, no. into that campaign. Um, when the character, uh, when Ryan's character was tied up, uh, being held by these necromancers, yeah. um, he was like, well, one of the corruption moves would get me out of this. Yeah. Could I just rapid fire, tell a bunch of lies? <laughs> like in character. Yeah. No, like, could I in character game the mechanic? Yeah. And we kind of said, uh, probably uh, not. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I considered it for a second. Yeah. That's like reasonableness at the table because the players don't know if I lie a bunch, I become more. I mean, the characters don't know if I lie I mean, a bunch. I mean, but maybe, maybe, but maybe it is. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe yeah. fairies know that there is a darker, wilder inner fairy. Yeah. Like version of themselves that they keep away by not, by lying. not lying. And so you could just like say a four lies and then suddenly get more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I almost wish I had gone down that track because oh, that's, that's so kind good. of interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's kind of like the players deciding when to mark experience versus the GM. Uh, and so there is, because this is kind of one of those like kind of holy texts of RPGs that the GM decides what experiences and it doesn't really necessarily need to be that. And often, oh, just jumping in real quick, and often the yeah. GM decides what is even worthy of granting experience. Yeah. Because a lot of systems just have like a very vague, like when they do something worthwhile, give them experience. Give them experience. Like fate sometimes yeah. just has like a, like there's a mechanic for how you get fate points. Yeah. Um, which is not really experience, but like, <laughs> right, uh, but it's a Benny system. Yeah. Um, where you just like, if you feel like they're doing a good job. Yeah. Hey, nice job, champ. Or, so, uh, yeah. So I, I guess looking at that, like how would the game change if the player could just, I'll take, this, Hey, please. you know what? I'm doing a good job, champ. Take some experience. And like, in a sense, I think it might not affect the game that much. Yeah. Because what I was doing, what I was seeing in Pasión de las Pasiones with the audience reaction system is that the players would know when they were going to get a reaction. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't anyone uh, being El Caballero and accidentally being suave. Yeah they, yeah. they were sweeping off their hat and making big, big, pretty grins and wiggling some eyebrows. Like that wasn't something that anyone at the table was surprised. Right. It's also in, like, so thinking about D and D for a second. Yeah. This is maybe we're getting off topic again, but like this might be a bit of a hodgepodge episode, but I think it's, I think we're getting some good stuff. But if you talked about if, Okay, so, because this is, I think, why this works in PBTA in a way that it might not work in D&D. Yeah. Because, function like, so, in most, the end, the end, 
of okay. of the of the experience track yeah. in most PBTA games is hand off your character. Yeah. So and 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 D has a tip, te- technically has more of like an up like upwards ongoing uh, experience yeah. track. But what if you did it like you can take experience whenever you want, or you choose how much you experience you gained yeah. at the end of every session. Yeah. But when you hit level twenty. You have to hand that character off and start again with a level one character. Yeah. And all your friends may have paced themselves. Yeah. So we're going to be playing at like level seven <laughs> or level 14 adventures, but you're going to be a level one character because you decided to be ungodly powerful for like one session. Yeah. I mean, but then, then you do have the problem that like, then, then they just do it again. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, then they alternate playing level playing one, level, level 10, and level, level 20, 20 yeah. characters over and over and over again. And I mean, if that's what your character is interested, I mean, they're, and they're just shuffling through characters, <laughs> that would be really interesting, but yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. That, that's, um, that's one of those games that just that the, the build and power yeah. is also so big that you can't have a level 20 character and a level one character. Yeah. And have it be anything reasonable. But that's why, like, like you could, as the as the tainted in Urban Shadows, just yeah. just do that move where you become your demon form, oh, yeah. max power every turn. Yeah. But you're gonna like blow through your your corruption track so fast, yeah. and you know that at the end of the corruption track, you have to like give up your character. Yeah. Um. And so that is a choice you're making. And frankly, the GM is probably paying attention to what your character is like while you play the game. So if you are the wolf, you know, guarding your territory, then the threat that is the wolf guarding their territory is that territory is tough to get into. If you are the tainted turning into a monster and just wrecking everything, then you with your new PC are going to have to deal (laughs) with a big monster that comes in and destroys everything for no reason all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about game, uh, about GMs running experience tracks. We've talked about players running experience tracks. What about game designers? Because I think a lot of the player-run experience tracks are secretly the game designer running the Mm -hmm. experience track. Like the corruption moves, for example, they're such a good example. It is the GM saying, this is the thing that I want you to do in order to uh, fit genre and move along the game. Mm -hmm. And it's basically an invitation to the player saying, hey, here's how you're going to do the thing that will make you cooler. So, let's talk about keys. Have you played Lady Blackbird? No. Okay, we're a, we're a terrible indie RPG podcast because I haven't either. And it's like, that's one of the core big, that's one of those must-read games, right? Uh, so I don't want to go too much into like what the point of Lady Blackbird is, but one of the mechanics from it, its experience mechanic, is called keys. Okay. Uh, keys has been used in a couple different systems. It's being used in cartel. It's probably being used in Passion, and it's super, super cool. So I just want to bring you quickly through a couple of keys okay, to just kind of introduce the idea of it. So looking at the Lady Blackbird playbook, because Lady Blackbird uses specific characters. You play the same characters anytime you play it. So Lady Blackbird herself has key of the paragon as a noble you're a cut above the common man hit your key when you demonstrate your superiority or when your noble traits overcome a problem buy off disown your noble heritage so as lady blackbird if you demonstrate your superiority 
or when your noble traits overcome a problem, you get an experience point, right? You get like a an XP that you're marking off. When you hit the buy-off, you have the option of removing the key and earning two advances. So that is a very tempting thing when you're in a very bad situation. Yeah. Because suddenly you have two new advances. Your character is significantly more capable. And it makes it so you can't earn experience along that track anymore. Hmm. So this is the GM saying, hey, one of the things that's interesting about Lady Blackbird is her nobility. And one interesting thing she could do is live in it, and one interesting thing she could do is disown it. She additionally has the key of the mission, uh, hit the key when you take action to complete the mission, and buy off is give up on your mission, and key of the imposter, hit the key when you perform well enough to fool someone with your disguise, because you're in disguise, and buy off, reveal your true identity to someone you fooled. So basically what you're doing is you're saying these are some story paths that might occur. And the reason I love keys, it forces you towards a resolution Mm -hmm. where some things have been handled. So the the other example is another good one. I just want to hit both examples so Mm -hmm. we can talk about it kind of in full context. So in Cartel, uh, El Cocinero, the, uh, the cook has some keys. Uh, they're, they're llaves in cartel, which is Spanish for keys. Okay. So, Mark XP, when you lie to someone close to you about your dealings with the cartel, clear this key in advance when you finally come clean to your family about your engagement with Los Narcos. So, this encourages you to lie to your family and people that are important to mm-hmm. you and, like, you know, cover up the fact that you're working with the cartel. How many keys do you have? Three. Can for you, both of those. Can you burn them all and then run out of ways to gain experience? You know, I'm not 100% sure how it works in Cartel. In Lady Blackbird, you can, as far yeah. as I know. Interesting. And I think, I mean, that's six advancements for Lady Blackbird. Yeah, that's And a it's a one-shot kind of game. So that is probably your full character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not 100% sure how it works in Cartel because I, I don't have the final copy of the rules yet it would be really sorry this is no, a, no. as a quick tangent again back to urban shadows yeah it would be very interesting to add a move that did the that function of like buying off the key mm-hmm. that was like you can choose to like have a meeting with the head of the faction yeah in your city yeah. And then they would do you a favor. Or either, I don't know if it was either just have a meeting with them. Like a narrative or reward. Like a, and then have some kind of a narrative reward to that. But then you can never mark that faction again. Yeah. Or you would have, I don't know how you would, like you could never talk to that faction again. Yeah. that That's weird because that would functionally increase your leveling up. Yeah. But again, that's that's interesting still too. Like Yeah. Um, like or, or having a way to turn away from your corruption track. Yeah completely for a, a small like, or not not a small but uh, like a, a substantial one-time benefit yeah and look one of the things that people forget about pbta games is that most of them are balanced to play four to eight sessions yeah. maybe 10 sessions and so it's okay to give somebody something yeah and so that's where th- this is one of those places where i think that the player choice and the designer choice are really coming through hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the designer is saying this is what makes what makes the cook interesting is that they're lying to their family, 
and maybe they'll tell somebody mm-hmm. about what happened. And like, you know, if you look at all of the the narco fiction that Cartel is based on, you'll see the cook doing those decisions. And for your story, like having that moment where you buy off the key is huge and yeah. so cool. It's interesting too because that's that's an interesting example, but I feel like a lot of times that would force um, it, it. It forces a, a dichotomy. It forces a dichotomy in in a place where there may not be one. Yeah, like you could, in theory, just tell one or two of your family members that mm-hmm. you are doing this thing, but that's not what the rule says. The rule says like come clean to your right. Am I right yeah. about that? Yeah. It, like, it, like it's, it's basically saying you've got to lie to everyone or have this big, like coming out ceremony where you <laughs> declare to your, maybe not coming out ceremony, but have this big ceremony where you tell your whole family that you're doing this. And those are the two options. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe, that's maybe a fuzzier one, but like, here's La Esposa, um, the spouse, uh, mercy, mark experience when you try to head off a violent encounter with negotiation or persuasion. Clear this key in advance when you greatly injure or kill someone who is defenseless or unaware. Yeah. That's like more clear, right? So, but that is still entirely in the player's hands. They yeah. can negotiate at any point to get that experience. They can at any point. Because, because that is saying either like turn away from violence and reject it as a, as a solution yeah. or do violence yourself. Yeah. But what if like, because that, because that character should not be like paying someone else to do violence for them. I mean, not, I mean, that is okay. You could, that is an option that I guess that's, wouldn't that is, turn your key, right? It would, they would both not give you experience or give you any. Exactly. Hmm. Because what's interesting in these characters are their dichotomy of choices. Um, and in Cartel, you choose two of your three keys. Mm-hmm. And Oh, that's cool. But they all push one experience track. Yeah. Here's where Pasión, as I'm currently seeing it, is going in a different direction. Okay. Where I'm currently looking at things with Pasión, the audience is still in it. It's been taken to a slightly different role. But I feel like it isn't... I want the player to be deciding their advancement more yeah. than it currently is. Because uh, currently it's a little nebulous. I don't like that. Uh, we're making that a more clear mechanic... But it's still there, just in a different way. Experience. Experience is going to be aimed towards a finale. And you're going to get advantages that build you up building towards the finale as well. But one of the big rewards that comes with it is your for your final episode. Because the there's going to be a setup that the playbooks have keys, and you're advancing them separately. Okay. So instead of... Uh, instead of lying, building up your f- normal experience track, it's building up a specific track for that key. So the example that, I, that I've been kind of talking about is the romance key. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have a scene of intimacy with somebody, mark this. When you... And so then you just like check off down that line and what you're building up towards is is oh in the finale you get to set a wedding uh it's a very concrete thing mm-hmm. and there'll probably be some other modifier or something like that that you get to carry for what if people don't play the full six sessions of the game yeah um but the buy-off for it is aimed towards like if you if you cause your if you greatly injure or kill uh one of your lovers 
then you've given up on having your romance wedding thing. And so that doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means you don't get to set that scene to make it happen. And so it's got that same kind of building dichotomy of things you can follow after, things you won't. And I'm working out a mechanic for getting a new key from a different playbook because I think that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. But it means that you can decide, you can build up towards the finale that makes sense. And that will mean that as you hit the final session and people are using their finale moves, it will all tie it all together. Mm-hmm. And it will make sense because it isn't like someone going, oh, I get my big, beautiful, fancy wedding to the love of my life and I haven't done anything to build towards it. Yeah. We'll have had X <clears throat> number of scenes that uh, showed that that was coming. Can I talk about, I watched, I'm sorry, I finished watching uh, Riverdale. Okay. Um, and do I, do we want to avoid a spoiler? I think we should avoid spoilers for Riverdale probably. Okay. Let's just do this. This will be a stinger for the episode. Okay. So just listen through the credits and then I'll talk this through and there. Okay. So if you do not want spoilers, don't listen to this. Do not listen to the stinger at the end of this. It'll be the final stinger. Okay. Okay. So, so bringing it back. Um, so the focus of these keys is it's saying, it's goalposting for the player very obviously. These are things that this trope aims for. Yeah. Um, El Caballero, it's about vengeance. It's about maybe having a... It's maybe about having a big fight, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't fight El Jefe necessarily. You don't have the final confrontation with El Jefe in the first episode. You have it in the finale. Yeah. And so all of this is meant to build up to a bigger move that says, hey, this is your wedding. Roll for this yeah. in a big way. Hey, this is the big fight. And it also, also says, that's interesting because that also, it has, a, it has a directing effect. Yeah. And so it says that this confrontation between you and El Jefe is potentially, or it's potentially an inevitability. If yeah. you choose to go down this path, it will happen at the end. Like, at the end of this, you are going to fight someone huge. Someone yeah, there is no scary. scenario in which you spend the whole season mm-hmm. buffing your character and threatening El Jefe's gang or whatever. Yeah. And at the end, the GM is like, "I don't feel this big fight sequence. I don't like. Let's just not do it." Yeah, you get to set that scene. Yeah, it also says for the player and the GM that up until that moment, Mm -hmm. every confrontation you have with El Jefe doesn't have to be, and maybe can't be that big confrontation. At very least, at very least it means when they are rolling to face certain death, they're not necessarily going to have it go down. Yeah. On the final confrontation finale move, you're not rolling to face certain death. It's, this is it. Yeah. This is, someone is probably not walking away from this one. And so like, working out what all of those are going to be, it's going to, there's a lot of things to come up with. Because that was the other thing you were saying, that they're all going to be different. There's going to be shared ones. Yeah. um, But there will also be non-shared ones. Because you could do things like have a romance one, and that like a couple of the characters could have a romance key. Yeah. And then you could have a violence key or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That are shared. But then like you could have a business key that probably only El Jefe gets. Yeah. Well, um, El Jefe might have it. La Beza might have it. <laughs> oh, that's true. I could see yeah. La Doña even. Um, 
And so working, and so there's even my intention, I'm working out exactly the logistics on it, is giving players options to change their keys. Mm-hmm. So like, hey, Lime Playata has been following that romance key and then hurled her lover off a cliff to fall into the ocean and definitely die and not come back with a new face. Um, he's totally right. not coming back yeah. ever. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a, without getting into the spoilers. That's exactly what is happening in a lot of a lot of season two of Riverdale. Yeah, is those characters are picking up keys from different playbooks. Yeah, absolutely. And then diving into them. And then yeah, exactly. And so then once you have that new key, when you are line play out of that, you're like, oh, I have I turned this key. It's done. And now I'm going to pick up El Caballero's key, which is all about finding justice. Like that's a cool moment. And yeah. so like, oh, then you like, have. That, that lets you have a, a scene like so if you are if you are La Baeza mm-hmm. and through the the course of the story someone wrongs you, that lets you be like, screw this key, give yeah. me that vengeance key, it's yeah. on. Like and not mm-hmm. in a I'm gonna just be catty and try to steal your man or, no, but or your, for your, real, your I'm coming yeah, after I'm coming you. after you. Yeah. Um that is good. And, I like that a lot. And before you can get a new key you need to get rid of one of your other keys mm, oh that's interesting so and those get rid of your other keys are not small moments yeah 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 like, big moments it's big moments in the narrative and oh, that is cool i didn't realize that you were saying just like i thought it was going to be like a ha- just get like erase that key and then take on another no, one no i think you it has to be burn. a turned key yeah uh, okay, I like that a lot. Yeah. That's good. So you have to turn a sp- or like give up a key. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And because you're working on multiple keys at once, you could theoretically come into the finale and go, oh, I get my happy ending. I have all three of my keys. Mm-hmm. I'm getting I'm getting to to quit my job as Lampliata and follow my dreams and truly have happiness there. I'm able to to save my family and have everything be wonderful and have that family connection. I'm able to have my big beautiful wedding and I get everything and that's wonderful. Or maybe you're Lime Playata that's coming in and going, "All right, well I burned the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> I burned the family. Yeah. <laughs> I burned the other thing." Uh, but at least I'm going to get to choose who I kill. Yeah. Oh man. If, cause, and again, that's interesting. If you say, um, that when you turn the key, you lose the ability to progress. And when you give up the key, you give up all of the benefits that you gained so far. I don't know if this is what you're not, doing. Yeah, it's, but there's there's a lot of like big question marks regarding but, how but, this but listen, work. listen, listen to yeah. my my thought process here. So you yeah. have you have experience, yeah. uh, or you're turning that you have a, a, an experience gaining thing, like yeah. one of these paths, like a romance path. Yeah, and you are doing things through that, mm-hmm. and then you're gaining benefits by checking it off. I see. So yeah. then when you turn the key or whatever, or you, you lock it yeah. off, now you can't progress down that path anymore. Yes. But while you still have it on your sheet, you would, you could still get all those benefits. The benefits. Yeah, I can see that. But if you choose to swap it out, now you've burned all of those bridges. Interesting. That would be how I would do it. That's something, that's something I hadn't considered because it means that each key has different kind of, as you power it up bonuses. But that's interesting. That could be a lot of fun. Because like the thing that I was thinking about was if you are going through a, if you're going through that romance key, working towards yeah. that wedding. Um, but at some point 
somebody steals your your spouse and whisks them away and romances them yeah. for the t- while you don't turn that key or or while you turn the key yeah um you could always rebuild that relationship and oh, still yeah. end up with that with marrying that person yeah but or I, or you could build up a romantic rela- you could have be halfway up that key stop being involved with somebody and be involved with somebody else and still get your yeah. beautiful wedding because that's what telenovelas are about. And I right? like the idea that you could then say, nope, let's swap that romance key out for the vengeance key. Yeah. Now it's on. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to do things now that are going to burn my relationships with all of the people that I have romance with. Yeah. And all in the name of getting vengeance on this one person. Yeah. And it would radically change your character and your, mm-hmm. and your, and it would have, because it would mean that it would be easy to give up and turn keys for or turn and give up keys that you had put little to no effort into or to ex- yeah. expressing, but difficult to what well, if you had, if you had already progressed, because it would there. have, it would, it would mean not only giving up mechan- that white wedding, mm-hmm. but also maybe friendships and relationships yeah. with other characters. Yeah. The way I initially envisioned this with how it adjusts progression is based partially off of something that's, um, it's an upcoming game that's from the Urban Shadows Kickstarter that I, I don't know how much I should am allowed to talk about it actually, so I'm going to be a little vague. But it includes a advancement track that essentially has a list of like four options. Mm-hmm. And those four options are the options you have every time you advance. And so you choose one of those things and you can essentially just keep choosing them, right? Because rather than being things that necessarily improve your character in a huge way, they're things that change your character. Hmm. So like in terms of like maybe changing what your playbook question is, changing what Mm -hmm. one of your keys is, changing what move you selected. And so it's not you necessarily becoming dramatically more powerful it's becoming different progressing as a character it's you becoming different and progressing as a character um and so i, I don't want to go too much yeah, into that's that game, fine. but oh my god i cannot wait to play it with you guys uh <laughs> but it uh but having that kind of structure doesn't it, it it makes it like much simpler which is a good thing yeah but you're right that that does cut out the option for like specific advancements along the track well, I got to play with both. That's, yeah. that's an interesting Like, thought. I wasn't thinking that every every time you check, you get a new thing. No, no. But it would be like, like, you'd have like... Um, if it's 10 long, once you hit yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. And so you would maybe over the course of the whole uh, experience track have like, yeah, have 10 things. Yeah. And so maybe every two or every three, there's a, there's yeah. a, a tangible benefit that you'd be giving yeah. up. That's cool. I like that. Because I, I also definitely want to play more with changing questions. I yeah. feel like changing questions is a like I've I've got this tech that I'm playing with that uh could do some really neat things but it involves a lot of hey are people willing to use some whiteout on their basic move sheet um I I actually kind of for a long time I've sort of pictured Pasión de las Pasiones playbooks just like all character sheets getting crumpled and ripped up and everything <laughs> like that. But maybe having like, just like the pieces of paper coming off of it, plays where people cut something on and mm-hmm. st- pasted it on or stuck it on. If you played with me at Metatopia, you saw <laughs> this, the taped on stuff. Yeah. And that's like, that was an intentional choice to kind of evoke like, like a pinata mm-hmm. uh, that your character, you've got this character like and it. you've got all this, all this wonderful candy stored inside of it. 
which I guess means then hit your character with a stick, which is not inaccurate to how I run games. Yeah. Or how I play El Jefe. He'll hit your character with a stick. Hit your character with a stick. Uh, but yeah, so I think I think keys are a big are a big technology that we should be seeing more of in PBTA games. Yeah, uh, it's because, really cool. Yeah, it's a it's such a cool thing. I mean, even as a as a non um, so like I think the core or the crux of the keys is kind of like yeah. a you ch- the player choosing that they're going to do actions that get them experience like that. But mm-hmm. even as more of a a traditional experience system, where oh, yeah, you, where like you were you're you're given experience for doing certain actions that you can yeah. lean towards, but they're more in the control of the GM. Yeah, having just multiple um, experience tracks. tracks like that. Yeah, that is the one of the coolest things about um, Urban Shadows is just yeah. it feels like there's so many ways. Yeah. to gain experience and that have different effects. Yeah. And like, and actually, even like the doomed. Yeah, and it's one inno- of the reasons why I like the doomed. The doomed and the innocent and masks will have that same thing. The innocence is so oh good. Gosh, the innocent is so cool. Um, but like, I think that looking at even looking at keys as something that could be ported into other games, like it, if you have a game that has an experience system, it doesn't need to be PBTA. You just need to. You could even make like, uh, like the stories for Seven C. You could write a bunch of stories, yeah, and have it be like when you challenge someone to a duel, mark experience, yeah. When you uh, intentionally, when you intentionally lose face, when you turn down a duel, turn this key. Yeah, I like that. Man, story based experience points are real interesting, it's and a- we're gonna have to come back and talk about experience again. I think, yeah. I think that there's something to be said for games that are driven by the players just getting experience and getting stuff for doing a thing. Yeah. And I think that is a, that is a, that is a something that has come about based off of like what you said, that these, most of these new indie games are designed for like five to six session uh, arcs with that character. And then maybe you're done and you start a new character. You're not talking about playing a D and D character for 10 years. Yeah. Um, Or yeah. I mean, maybe, Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe my uh, my passionist, my next passionist character will last for ten years. It'll last for ten years. We'll play them. I, I think the mechanics. I think you'll have to hack Passion in order to make that happen, because I think built into the mechanics of Passion dos Passiones will be an ending. Yeah, which is a little ironic. Oh, because at things. some point you run out of death uh, check marks, right? Not even that. There's another thing that now comes in. Oh. Uh, now there's a last time on. Okay. That you. Uh, basically get a little bit of information about the episodes that came between your previous episode and this one. Oh, uh, okay. And when they're all scratched, time for the finale. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. No, admittedly, that would be a very easy thing to hack, that you just yeah. say, nope, we more. want to keep playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> Last time on, and I make up a thing. So if you want to talk to us about all that stuff uh, that we talked about in this kind of rambling episode... Uh, on experience points. Well, when you get in touch with us, yeah, you, you do get to mark experience. Yeah. So yeah. do that. Um, to do that, you can find us on Twitter. Um, we are together at Stop, Pack, and Roll, sometimes at the same time, um, which is always fun. Um, or individually, I'm at End the Meltdowns. And I'm at Dr. Captain Cobalt. And then the Brr, the I'm website. pulling it up. Okay, here we go. You can find all of our episodes, links to some of the games we've been working on, and uh, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
at www. You can find all our episodes and links to some of the games we've been working on at stophackandroll.com. You can send us an email if you've got something more substantial to say uh, at either James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com. If you like the podcast and you would like to show us some support, you can rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you find it. It's a great way to help people find the show, especially if we get those five-star ratings, because I think that's pretty much what drives the iTunes uh, yeah, the setup. Like, especially it puts it into, or it also lets you interact with the iTunes store. And so I think oh, that's cool. how they, I mean, I think that's how they know that like to display that you are subscribing and like yeah. uh, people in, in that, like people who listen to this podcast, listen to this podcast mechanic. Yeah. Ideally what we want to happen is if anyone Googles stop hack or roll, this podcast comes up yeah. automatically installs and, and starts, starts playing. playing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we make this podcast. And, and ratings make and ratings help us to get closer to that goal. Yeah. We make this podcast with the support of our Patreon backers. Uh, and we welcome new backers like Matthew Marquez, Christian Guanzon, Amr El Azizi, and Patrick Lindsay. I think Patrick Lindsay was was new as of the last episode, but it's new, okay. new for this yeah. month. That still counts. Uh, as well as all of uh, some of our old favorites, uh, like Nora Blake, Izzy Sanders, Ryan Tunkel, who we talked about in this episode, uh, <laughs> Jimmy Rogers, Jeff Stormer, and Baron Chug. If you'd like to help support this show and future shows from the Stop, Hack, and Roll network of tabletop RPG shows, you can check us out at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. And even if you can't participate in backing us financially, that's totally fine. We get um, that, absolutely. We get that. Um, one of the other cool ways that you can kind of like back us uh, socially and emotionally is to join our um, our Discord, uh, which you can find at tinyrl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stopbackandroll. Uh, we pull a lot of our ideas for like what we're going to talk about in these episodes mm-hmm. from there. So come talk to us. Come discuss things come talk about the games that you're designing a lot of what we try to talk about is like the one of the reasons why we never record this episode this the podcast more than like a week before because we're trying to stay on that bleeding edge of, oh, yeah. of, of game design so come talk about the new thing that you're doing with experience points and then we'll probably talk about it a week later um, <laughs> or a day later or whatever um and uh and do that. that. That's what really like gives us uh, energy to make this podcast yeah. is people coming and talking to us about it. Another thing that we actually don't bring up ever is that uh, we, at this time, do not advertise the show. We don't really like, spread it around an enormous amount on our own. If you love the show, let people know about it. Tell a friend. Tweet it out. Um, those are also things that invigorate us to an enormous amount. Uh, I'll admit, recently, for this is a Protean City thing, but I was at work and I saw a tweet that someone had made. And I legitimately had to like be careful because I was tearing up at work. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it's, it's so wonderful seeing people talk about the show and then people know about it. Yep. I'm not crying. I'm just a little, I'm a little allergic right now. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. It's a, a, we're a, a lot of stuff going on. It's rainy outside. Yeah. Yeah. Allergens kicking up. Yeah. Transition of seasons is never yep. nice for me, but that makes a huge difference. That is how we reach more ears until yep. we solve the, automatically downloading and starting to play automatically. So you could remove this podcast from your podcasting app. You could. Yeah. And you might get some benefits for that right now. But don't forget to mark experience every time you stop, hack, and roll.
so in season two of Riverdale, yeah, Veronica has started to hit her. Uh, her, her. Uh, I don't know if she has. Is st- if it was a key she already had, yeah, or if she took on um a key from El Jefe. Oh, and yeah, has yeah, yeah. Started to go down that track, mm-hmm. and then at the end, instead of like progressing through that, she burns that key and gives up her connections to the underworld. Yes, exactly, and that that's the kind of dramatic moment that you're trying to get, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, she has decided to turn that key. And lose that eventual power. Yeah, for a power right now. Yeah, 